The title of this morning's message is Tenacious to Declare the Gospel. Tenacious, that's a, that's a strong word and I, don't know, I think that's a word that uh, is very fitting for the Apostle Paul. He's a man of tenacity, perseverance. He's uh, steadfast. And we can learn a lot from the life of the Apostle Paul. If you simply read through the book of Acts, we know that it's, uh, it's, a, it's a wonderful book of the birth of the church. And in that, we see how it is that the Holy Spirit fell upon the disciples, the apostles in the, in the upper room and how the church was, was born. And through that, we see a lot of trials, a lot of persecutions, uh, a lot of things that came at the apostles and the disciples that um, for any person who is not strong in their faith would have buckled and turned away from the faith. And yet we see how it is that because of what they had come to know by God's grace, and that is salvation through Jesus Christ, not by any works lest any man should boast, not, not by any kind of um, a merit, but by God's grace, um, they were tenacious in the expression of their faith. In the declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there was absolutely nothing that was going to stop them from continuing to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And so I believe that we have much that we can learn from the Apostle Paul, the other apostles, the other disciples, to apply to our lives and and ask ourselves, is how we're living our Christian faith a reflection of those types of lives? And I pray that we are encouraged this morning by what we have before us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 1 says, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. Heavenly Father, we commit this morning of study into your hands. We ask, Lord, that you would, by your Spirit, uh, give us understanding, Lord. Uh, speak to us as you see fit, Father, to apply to our lives. That the areas of our lives that need to be spoken to, Father, that we would be receptive to. Lord, mold us and shape us into the image of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May others, as they see us, see you. May they be encouraged and have the desire to also have that which we have, and that is you. For you are our prize and our goal. You are everything. And one day we will be in your presence for all eternity. And so I pray, Father, that you would strengthen your children, your sons and daughters this morning, Father. And for anyone who doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation that by understanding your character and the love that you have for us, that they too would be drawn to you. Lord, may you open up our eyes to see what you would have us to see. Open up our ears to have us hear what you would have us to hear. And Lord, help, help us to apply it to our lives, to your glory. We commit this time into your hands and we pray this all in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. So, I mentioned the word tenacity, right? Tenacity, the quality or fact of being able to grip something firmly, of being very determined, of being persistent. 
You know, oftentimes refer to the Apostle Paul as the bulldog of Christianity. He's one that, you know, you, you may be able to knock him down for the moment, but <laughs> just know that the Apostle Paul was getting back up and he was coming back. He just kept coming back. There was nothing holding him back. Other words that are like tenacity are doggedness, perseverance, resoluteness. I think with those words, it gives us a, a picture, an idea of what we have before us, the, the very character that was reflected in the Apostle Paul and the Thessalonians knew very well. And I believe these words would describe the ministry of the gospel of the Apostle Paul as he endured much conflict and persecution in false accusations and beatings and imprisonments at the hands of Jews and Gentiles alike. So no matter who he was ministering to, there was always someone who came at him to persecute him, him and even apply a beating or two and perhaps eh, let's go ahead and imprison him as well. And he endured all this and through it he remained steadfast. The church in Thessalonica knew very well what Paul had suffered while he was there reasoning and explaining and proving from the scriptures. In fact, in Acts 17 3 it says that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead and saying this Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ as in my own devotional reading I'm at the moment going through the book of Acts and I read time and time again I'm, I'm what, what is coming to mind is what is it that the Lord would have the disciples and the apostles speak to the Gentiles and Jews that would lead them to salvation in Jesus Christ. And here's the bottom line. The Apostle Paul reasoned in the synagogue regularly on Saturdays, on the Sabbath. He reasoned with them. Regularly went to the Gentiles as well. And the one thing that he wanted to prove to them as it is that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Christ. That, that's, that's what I keep reading over and over and over again. We are the ones that complicate salvation. All the Apostle Paul wanted to do is, is prove that. And it's proven in Scripture, as we see in the Old Testament, that which was prophesied is fulfilled in the New Testament in Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? And he kept going back for that very reason. Just to just preach the gospel. And if we come to that understanding, as we're not ignorant and opinionated by parroting the things of the world, and rather for ourselves, we give ourselves to studying the word of God and seeing for ourselves that which the Apostle Paul gave himself to and gave his life for. We ourselves would be better off. We would be able to respond to whether or not we believe Jesus is the Christ or not on our own. Not because someone else says he is or he's not, but for ourselves. That's what he gave himself to and that's what he was willing to live for and die for. The brethren in Thessalonica knew that the Jews were jealous and how they went after Paul to attack him. And yet Paul did not 
back down at all. He kept going because he was willing to do anything and everything for the sake of the gospel. That more people might hear that salvation is found in Jesus Christ and would come to believe and be saved. Through Paul's ministry, we can clearly see that he valued the spreading of the gospel to everyone and anyone that would lend their ear and heart to God through. We clearly see that he valued the spreading of the gospel by enduring anything. Anything. It didn't matter what came at him. He was willing to endure it all. Through Paul's tenacity of declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ, I pray that we too would think about our own faith. That we would consider our own faith. Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And that's why I, keep, I, I had mentioned how the Apostle Paul, one thing that I kept looking for is, what is it that they would tell everyone in order for them to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ? The Apostle Peter. He explained through Scripture that Jesus was the Christ. That was it. Jesus was the Christ. They kept doing that. That was all they did through Scripture. And so it is in the power of God that we find salvation. It's not my word. It's not anyone else's word. It's through the very word of God. I pray that you are encouraged and emboldened to tell people about Jesus Christ, the Son of God, and salvation through him. And there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. In this tenacity, we will see three things, genuineness of faith, gentleness and exhortation, and a faith worth imitating. Let's talk about, first of all, the genuineness of, of faith. In verses 1 through 8, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain, but through Uh, But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness, nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ, but we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So, being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. I believe in order to gain an understanding of what the Apostle Paul was referring to in this letter, I think it's necessary for us to go back into Acts chapter 17. So please hold your place there and go with me to Acts chapter 17 and verse 1. This is after the Apostle Paul had been uh, beaten and imprisoned along with Silas and uh, in Philippi, and how it was that they were released from that imprisonment. And after that, they came to Thessalonica. And in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, 
It says, Now, when they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, and there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom. And on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I proclaim to you is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob, set the city in an uproar, and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying that there is another king. Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. From there, they went on to Berea. It is there that they continued to declare the gospel. The apostle Paul went there and not a few also believed, but they tested the scriptures. And here's what's awesome is about the Bereans, how it was that when, when Paul declared that Jesus was the Christ, they went back into Scripture and looked for themselves. They wanted to see. They tested Him. And that's what we always ought to do. We always ought to go back to Scripture. And Is that which has been declared and proclaimed and preached from the pulpit, is it true? Go back and see for yourself. And so they would. But it, it's in that place. When He was in Berea, that those Jews that were jealous back in Thessalonica went to Berea and also started trouble there. These were the same guys. They just kept going. They just kept going. And this is what the, the believers in Thessalonica knew about the Apostle Paul. They knew that he not only experienced what he experienced in Philippi, but also in Thessalonica. They knew these things. We know that Paul reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue on three Sabbaths. So for three weeks, he, he reasoned with the Jews in synagogue And he declared the gospel to the Greeks and to the leading women. And many Greeks came to faith, but only a few of the Jews and some of the leading women. What I want to bring to your attention is that in three weeks, Paul had given himself to declaring the gospel to anyone that would listen. And the gospel had made such an impact as to lead many to Christ. And the church in Thessalonica was born. And how is it that they refer to the apostle Paul and the disciples? Oh, these men that turned the world upside down. Really? In three short weeks, they turned their world upside down. No, what they did was they turned it right side up. That's what actually they did. They turned it right side up for those in Thessalonica. So when the Apostle Paul writes in verse 1, he saw the effectiveness of God's word. In those three weeks in Thessalonica. So when he writes in verse 1, For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. He understood it's, it's only by God's grace. It's only by God's spirit that the church was born in Thessalonica in just three short weeks. That was all it took. That brings conviction 
upon myself. I don't know if it brings conviction upon you. Can someone say of, of us that in three short weeks we have turned the world upside down? That we had made such an impact that we got the world mad. But we have seen many people come to Christ. It was a great conviction as I thought about that and how it is that every time we, we think about ourselves and in our faith, in our ministry, that we can never outdo the Lord and we ought to be completely given to spreading around us and to everyone who is willing to hear the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. So the question is, what kind of tenacity do we have in the declaration of the gospel? Do we value the gospel like this? So what did the Thessalonians know about the Apostle Paul that would help them remember that he was genuine in his faith? And by the way, he conducted himself, perhaps, while he was there in Thessalonica. That's a good test, you know, if someone that you know very well... You know, it's, it's because you've, over time, seen that person's character, how he conducts himself or herself in many situations. And then you come to know what their character is. Because they knew about how Paul was in Philippine. He was attacked by the crowd, beaten with rods, and put into the inner prison with Silas, having stocks and chains on their feet, in Acts chapter 16. They knew how it was that they were there singing hymns, Singing unto the Lord, singing His praises while in prison. They, they knew all of that. They knew how it was that He dealt with persecution and confrontation there in Thessalonica. And so this is what the Apostle Paul could refer to. And he did. We ought to be able to, to refer to certain situations in our lives to where we could look back and other people could actually also confirm in our lives that, yeah, you know what, when you were going through that time, you know, for me, I was weak, but the spirit was strong. And by God's grace, I came through. And someone else can say, you sure did. And you, you know what? You, you were a testament you, uh, of God's grace and his, his strength and his spirit moving in your life because I was encouraged by how you went through that trial. In verse 3, Paul's appeal to them is to consider these things that they did not stem from any error he would like to correct, no impurity he would like to confess, and no perceived deception he would like to explain. He was not, not trying to correct any of those things. It was implied that there was an attempt by the jealous Jews. Remember, it was that they, they showed up in Berea. I mean, they, they, were, they went out of their way to try and undermine the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Remember that they went to Berea and they stirred everyone up. Because by this, it's implied that there was an attempt by, the, by these Jews to undermine the gospel that he had brought to them, these unbelieving Jews. They wanted to stop and destroy the spreading of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Verse, verse 4 says, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not to please man, but to please God, who tests our hearts. Oh, that we may not be given 
to please man by the, by the gospel. What, what happens then is that we're fearful of men. We're fearful of how they're going to respond, react to what we say, how we live our lives, what we do. And it's reflected by what we say and what we do and how we behave. We know from verse 2 that the Apostle Paul declared the gospel to the Thessalonians with boldness, despite being in the midst of much conflict. You see, the Apostle Paul knew very well that his approval, his ordination came from God and not from man. And he knew that God had entrusted him with the gospel. And so with that entrusting, that that trust that he gave him, uh, that stewardship that he gave to him, it was with that that he spoke. I speak with that. I come with the authority that... I know to be certain in God's word, and I bring it to you. And Paul was explaining to them how they could test the sincerity of his faith. They knew he wasn't there to please man, but to please God. He knew, they knew that because of what it was that he exemplified when he was with them. If he, if he was there to please man, he definitely would, wouldn't have uh, endured that which he endured in Philippi, much less Thessalonica, And as he continued on from there, preaching in Berea and uh, and going on to the Areopagus uh, to preach there and Ephesus and and, uh, Antioch and Corinth and all of these places, he would not have continued on. No flattery, though. No flattery. I didn't come with flattering words. Uh, Flattery is the excessive and insincere insincere praise given to further one's own interests. You know, uh, sometimes... And people, uh, they telegraph their flattery. In other words, y- you know what's coming after it. Um, you know, they butter you up because they want something. It's funny, you don't teach kids this, but they know it very well, don't they? <laughs> You're the best dad in the whole world. Have I told you lately how much I love you and how much I appreciate everything that you do for me, and I I just love you, Dad. By the way, (laughs) right? You don't have to teach that to kids. And by the way, we don't have to teach it to each other either. We know how to do a flattery. Something Something nice that you say to someone else in order to gain something yourself. Not because you mean it, but because you want something. He didn't come with those kind of words. He didn't want anything from them. No greed. He didn't do it for personal gain and finance or power. I, I, for the Apostle Paul, he didn't seek a position. Uh, money, you can keep your money. Well, he, he didn't do it for that. No glory. He wasn't seeking the praise and worship of the people, nor to be honored or renowned. He, he didn't want any of that. And they knew that. Instead, what the Thessalonians knew was that Paul came to them gentle, calm and tender in temperament, consistent. I was thinking about that, how it was that as we look at the Apostle Paul, we see a man of great strength, don't we? How do you picture the Apostle Paul? He was 
It just was unrelenting. This man just kept going. Come what may, oh, beatings, imprisonments, everything, shipwreck. He was hungry at times, cold, all of those things, and yet he kept going. Oh, I just loved, I, I love the Apostle Paul. And yet with that strength, he demonstrated a tenderness, the tenderness as was described here as a father or as a mother. That's, that's what we have before us. First, he's described as having that, that intimacy, that, that relationship with him like a mother. And then also like a father. You mean this, this man who was tenacious in his faith and was willing to take whatever it was that came at him was, was also gentle? Yes, he was gentle. He was gentle. Caring for them like a nursing mother with her own children. They knew that they were very dear to Paul by the way he was affectionate with them, sharing not only the gospel, but as he said, my very own life I share with you. I'm sorry, but there are too many people that are are willing to share the very word of God, but not their lives. They may give their lives to to just simply declaring declaring, uh, the, the word of God, preaching and teaching, but but then there's no sharing of their lives. It should go hand in hand. We have been called to be teachers and shepherds. And so we give ourselves to that. If we, if we are lacking in that area, then, then as pastors, we really should consider ourselves before our God who has ordained us and commissioned us to do that very thing. We should be willing to do exactly what the Apostle Paul did. And that is to give our very lives to each and every one of you. To pour our lives out. Sharing not only the gospel, but himself as well, is what the Apostle Paul was saying. And they knew that they were dear to the Apostle Paul by this example. Paul wanted them to remember these things. If you're in any area of ministry, if you're overseeing any group of people, that, by the way, is also your responsibility. You are to lead well, but you're also to be available for those people that you've been entrusted with. You are to show excellence in a complete commitment and devotion to the gospel of Jesus Christ, but also a gentleness and a tenderness toward them. That is what you ought to give yourselves to. And Paul wanted them to remember these things, that they may not be deceived and fooled by anyone who would try to accuse him of anything contrary. If someone else were to come and say something about you, would everyone around you be able to, by your life, say, no, that's false. I know. I know him. I know her. And that's not true. I I hope that would be the case. Because for the Apostle Paul, he was writing this letter and he was saying, "You, you know, these things to be true. Paul was referring to a genuine faith, his ministry to the people in Thessalonica. And he was appealing to them. So number one, genuineness of faith. Number two, gentleness and exhortation. Verse nine, as we continue. For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil. We work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. 
For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So gentle exhortation. Pure motives demonstrated by an effort to not be a burden to them is what we first see. You need to understand my motives is what the Apostle Paul was pointing to. My intentions, my motives were not to definitely not place a burden upon you. How? Well, in several ways in what we see here. First of all, he he worked for his own money. He worked for his own, he, he worked. Secondly, he conducted himself with spiritual integrity. And thirdly, he treated them like a father. These three ways made every effort to not be a burden to them. He treated them like a father. He didn't hold back from exhorting, encouraging, and charging them to live their lives, live lives, their lives in a way that, that glorified the Lord. He did these things. Well, Paul was, first of all, a tent maker by trade. We know by the scriptures that Aquila and Priscilla were also tent makers in Acts chapter 18 is when he had come to Corinth that he teamed up with them and he stayed with them and worked with them while he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks in Acts chapter 18, verse 4. So that's what he did. He worked as a tent maker while he stayed with Aquila and Priscilla and he reasoned with the Jews in the synagogue on the Sabbath. And so Paul working and serving God was not something unique with the Thessalonians, but it was Paul making every effort to not be a financial burden to anyone in the spreading of the gospel. Chuck Smith says, where God guides, God provides. I have seen that demonstrated in my own life. Where God guides, he provides. He provides our needs. I have seen very little. I've seen much. But I've always seen the Lord simply provide our needs. And he does that time in and time out. Day in and day out. That is certainly true. And I think you can all attest to that. That if you were to look back on your own lives, you can also testify of it in your own lives. Now, we need to also understand that Paul was not saying that all ministers were to deny their right to be sustained by the gospel, but that he had voluntarily given it up so as to separate himself from those who went out for personal financial gain. Then there were plenty of those, and there are plenty of those today also, these charlatans that go out and, oh, they, they pitch their sales. They're gimmicks. They sell you things through TV. Oh, if you buy this, oh, then all your prayers will be answered. And if they're not answered, it's because you don't have enough faith. Uh, they've turned it into a marketplace. These are charlatans. Be careful. Faith, God's grace, salvation is not for sale. It's not because of financial gain. Never has been, never will. First Corinthians 9.14, and I did want to refer to this. 
Because remember, the Apostle Paul wrote this to the Corinthians. He said in 1 Corinthians 9.14, in the same way, the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel. And so don't muzzle the ox. Uh, he referred to that, which was a reference to the Old Testament. And so we, we, we need not be confused about that. Well, the Apostle Paul was a tent maker, and so therefore what we apply to all pastors, all everyone who teaches the word, well, you should be like the Apostle Paul. Be a tent maker who uh, completely forsook this right, and, and you should uh, like not receive anything. Well, that's not what he was saying. We need to be able to differentiate the two. Now, there are pastors who completely say no to any income from the church itself and uh, are completely reliant on a job outside of the church. That's their conviction. That's what they choose to do. But the church itself should be able to, to give toward the needs of the pastor that's shepherding them. And that's what we have from 1 Corinthians 9.14. So we need to differentiate the two. We need to understand both, right? Because here the Apostle Paul is saying, you know that I didn't lay anything on you. If by chance, and, and I say this with complete sincerity, that this church would be burdened financially, that I would have no hesitation in forsaking any kind of financial income my way in work, job, or two. I mean, as it is right now, I work a full-time job. And so I, I say that with complete sincerity. I would rather see this church standing and, and, and for me to work even more than for you to ever be burdened financially. If it ever came to that, that's what it would be. Because I know that my calling is to declare, proclaim, and shepherd, and teach, lead, and guide as many people as possible to Jesus Christ. And so that's my heart, though. I, I, I would rather keep the doors open I know too many that just, hey, let's close it up. There's not enough coming in. <laughs> no, let's keep it open. Let's go work three, four jobs. That's, that's the way we, we uh, would do it. Spiritual integrity, verse 10, is what we see there. You are witnesses in God also how holy and righteous and blameless was our conduct toward you believers. Paul was not boasting. He was humbly referring to his own life as an example of his spiritual integrity before God and man. Uh, holy, righteous, and blameless. Listen, his sincere faith was expressed by how he lived. It, it was just there. Hey, you know that I was set aside for the Lord. I, I gave myself to the Lord. And the way I lived my life, it was, it was upright before him. You know that. I was blameless. I wasn't given to anything. I wasn't compromising. It was all there. And, and here's how. I treated you like a father. For you know how, like a father with his children, we exhorted each one of you and encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. If a person does not have spiritual integrity, he will not have much, if any, spiritual impact on others. It will be short-lived because as soon as they find out that you're a fake, that you... Um, are a hypocrite in the sense to where you say one thing and do the complete opposite, then that's short-lived. And with the Apostle Paul, he was, he was exhorting them. Exhorting them to, 
be strong is to be strongly encouraged or to urge someone to do something. And he did that. He strongly encouraged them and urged them to do something. And that is found in the word of God to reflect the glory of God. To encourage, that is to give support, confidence, and hope to someone to help them continue to do something. You know, when you see someone doing something well and doing something good, encourage them. Please encourage them. That is awesome. You know what what you did, what I saw with this and that? It's not, not flattery if it's sincere, okay? Not that you're telling them to gain something from it. It's just good to hear. We are to gather together. Uh, to stir each other up to love and good works. And so we encourage one another. To charge. To charge simply said is to demand. Oh, so he exhorted, he encouraged, and you mean he demanded too? Yes, he did. But as we saw, as we saw earlier, how it was that he came forth as a mother, but also as a father, intimately and gentle. But also in this sense, in those characteristics of a father, at times he could say, this is the way it is to be done. This is it right here. If he didn't have spiritual integrity, that would fall flat, wouldn't it? If he didn't have the word, if we didn't have the word behind us, our exhortation, our encouragement, and our charges would fall flat. One may be able to exhort or encourage but not charge someone if their spiritual integrity is in tatters, and even that would be weak. The gentleness and exhortation came from a spiritual strength that was found in Paul, and this was referred to as a quality that reflected how a father is with his children. So having spiritual integrity will allow one to exhort, encourage, and charge with gentleness, and that's what the Apostle Paul was writing to the Thessalonians. I treated you like a father as well. So genuineness of faith, gentleness and exhortation, and finally, a faith worth imitating. Verse 13, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it, not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. For you, brothers, became imitators of the churches of God in Christ Jesus that are in Judea, For you suffered the same things from your own countrymen as they did from the Jews, who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets and drove us out and displeased God and opposed all mankind by hindering us from speaking to the Gentiles that they might be saved, so as always to fill up the the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them at last. The proof of the Thessalonians having received the word of God as the word of God and not the word of men, was evident by the way they were living their lives, declaring the gospel to others through their trials, through their persecutions. You know, that's how anyone can know if a church has received the word of God as the word of God. If you yourselves are growing individually, separately, but also collectively, are living your lives to glorify God in the midst of trials. You continue to remain faithful to Him, loyal to Him. You cling to Him, and you know how to make it through those trials. I believe, as Paul did, that the Word of God is truth, absolute, and comes with the authority of God, and man's Word is only opinion. That's all it is. It's opinion. And if contrary to the Word of God, 
will be proved false. If not here, well, we know it's going to be proved false before God. There's only one true voice of authority, and it is the voice of God. There are too many people that try to twist God's word to mean what they want it to mean. Do it at your own peril and humiliation before a holy and righteous God. And I, and I, I know that even now, you know, I, I hear it almost, well, no, every day. I hear it every day. The word trying to be twisted to mean something it doesn't mean. Perverted. I want it to mean what I want it to mean. It's okay. That's your opinion. Test it by the word. Go to it. In context, by the way. Take a look at it in context. And Paul was encouraging the Thessalonians, telling them that it was evident that they had received the word of God as the word of God, and it was at work within their own lives. And that was by enduring. They're enduring through the suffering, just like the churches in Judea and persevering in their faith you're persevering in your faith you're enduring these persecutions these trials that are coming at you you're being tested and you know what you're you're being found faithful before god how do you endure suffering testing temptation distractions of all forms you know sometimes we have these distractions that come at us it could it could come as good news it could come as good things How do we endure those distractions, those trials? And we need to also note that it was their own people that were coming, that was coming against them. And they were enduring, being steadfast. Just like the people in Judea, the Jews that came against them. Well, here with these people in Thessalonica, their countrymen were coming against them as well. How do you respond when your own peers come against you? Friends, co-workers, family. Are you holding your position in Christ? Are you remaining steadfast? It's the same type of people that kill Jesus, the prophets, as those who drive the Christians out. Same spirit that comes from the very pit of hell. Same, same spirit. Same people that oppose you. Oppose Christ. In fact, they oppose all mankind, is what we see here. The Apostle Paul referred to that. They oppose all mankind because they hinder the gospel from going out so that more people might be saved. These people are opposing God and they will be dealt with by God. And that's what he he concluded this section with. They're going to be dealt with. Judgment comes. God is just. And he said, vengeance is mine. In other words, it's not for you to exact vengeance. They'll be dealt with for you. Just deal with the persecution that you're confronted with. The trials that you're being confronted with. Don't worry about everyone else. You know, the the manner in which God will deal with them. Don't worry about that. Worry about yourself and your faith and your walk, your life. As for you, remain steadfast in your faith and declaring the gospel in the midst of much conflict, suffering, and opposition. We know that these things happen. I, I know because we deal with things all the time. Whether it be work issues, family issues, house issues, car issues, children issues, parent issues, whatever it is. Who is anyone living a, uh, like a non-issue life? Like everyone, everyone's, no, you're good. Yeah, cool. That's awesome. We have one. 
We're going to have you come up and, and pray for all of us. Yeah, I know she's joking. We, we all deal with these things, but it matters how we go through them, how we respond, because it reflects how it is that we receive the Word of God. That's why, it, like what we do on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, when we come together for men's and women's Bible studies, the youth coming together, it's for this very thing, to be strengthened in the Lord, to, to mature. That way, when we are faced with these trials, with these things in life, we have godly wisdom to deal with them in a way that glorifies God. That's it. So keep coming. Let's keep gathering together. Let's keep encouraging one another with God's word. So this is a faith worth imitating right here. That's what we have before us. Number one, a genuineness of faith. Number two, gentleness and exhortation. And thirdly, faith worth imitating is what we saw. What was so valuable to Paul is what we have here. This was so valuable to Paul and the Thessalonians that they were willing to remain steadfast in their faith despite the conflict, suffering, and opposition they faced. No matter what came their way, they were tenacious. We ought to be tenacious Christians, just like this. And this is what they valued. Salvation in Jesus Christ, the declaration, proclamation of the gospel of Christ, that's what they gave themselves to, living it out and telling others about it. What was of great value? One word, it's summed up in one word. One word, grace. Grace. God's grace had been revealed to them through Jesus Christ. They not only knew that hope only came through Jesus Christ, but they also desired that more people would come to know salvation at any and at all costs. Come on, man. I just, I want, I already know salvation. I'm willing to do anything, endure anything for the sake of the gospel that more people would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Nothing would move them. They were not living their lives to please man, but to please God as they too were entrusted with the gospel. For those of you who share in that, you know that you've been entrusted with the gospel. You've come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. This is how we ought to live our lives. Be encouraged this morning by the life, the life of the Apostle Paul, by the lives of the Thessalonians. They are our brothers and sisters who one day we will see in all eternity. We will sing praises and worship um, to God. But be encouraged for today, the day in which we live in. For anyone here who does not know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, it is so valuable. It is so valuable that people are willing to give their lives for the sake of you knowing salvation in Jesus Christ. But what's most important is that Jesus gave his life for you. His blood poured out on the cross so that you would know forgiveness of sins, justification through the sacrifice of the Son, and you would come to believe, as I started out, that Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Savior. Do you believe? Do you believe? That is the question that will determine where you will spend eternity. I pray that you come to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And you too 
by grace through faith in Jesus Christ will know salvation. Father, we come to you this morning humbled before a holy and righteous God. I pray for the church that you would help us to walk in a manner worthy of the salvation that we have come to know in Jesus Christ. And I pray for anyone else here who does not know you right now as Lord and Savior, that this would be the day of salvation. Right now, Lord, that you would move in them, that your kindness would draw them unto you. They would know what kind of love you have already demonstrated by sending your own son to the cross to die in their place. And so, Father, I pray that right now there would be a confession of sins, a crying out to you, that you would be their Savior, their Lord, and that we would simply come alongside and encourage them in that new life in Jesus Christ. For we are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. If we confess with our mouths that Jesus is Lord and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, the Bible says we shall be saved. And we are truly thankful for that. And so it's with that that we close. And we ask that you would continue to resonate in our hearts the word that we had just received. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.